Open your Bibles to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua, we're in chapter 23. This is the second to the last chapter in the book. Oh my, we are almost through it. Uh, We're going to be probably spending two Sundays in chapter 24, but we're coming to the end of it. What a journey it's been, and uh, trust God's been using it in your life. Joshua 23, turn in there. All right. Uh, God's people are in God's place. And uh, that statement is a big statement. And uh, I want us just to ponder this for a moment. God's people. God's people. Uh, God, at this point in time, has a people. We're not talking three people. We're not talking 100 people. We're not talking 1,000 people. We're talking a nation. And sometimes when we come to these, we just forget the whole redemptive picture of what's happening. And let me just remind us real quickly. Abraham, God says, I'm going to build a nation from you. That was centuries before. And, and it was a very slow process. Listen, God is not in a hurry. Okay, God is not in a hurry. He's got a plan. He's carrying it out. He's doing his thing. And yet over time that happens and you go all the way up to these people who are literal slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And during the time that they're in Egypt for 400 this years, by God's blessing, they're, they're multiplying like rabbits. I mean, literally in, in, at that time. And they're growing into, they don't even really know it, but they're growing into a powerful nation. And God then pulls these slaves out of this place, these two million people out of this place, and, and, and then starts them on a whole new journey. And, and there's a whole process of a journey that that's going along and some good things and some bad things that are happening during that time. And, and yet God has built a people. And now these people in Joshua chapter 23, they are in this place and they are a nation. They are a prominent people. They have conquered some of the biggest dogs on the planet. I mean, these dogs are big dogs now and they used to be slaves of no of nomads, nobody knew them. I just when when we talk about God's people here, that in itself, God's hand has been all over them. Very cool, and God's people now have a place. We're not talking like a neighborhood. We're not talking like a city. We're not talking like a state. We're talking they are literally a nation in the center of the world, and they have a place. Uh, that is marvelous. I mean, they have a place that is theirs. They've never had that. This is the first time in this book that we we find God's people at the kind of setting they are, and they've got a place. They are a powerhouse, and that hasn't been the story in the past. But that's where it's at. And so we start out here, God's people. Now they have they have uh, this place. It's got 12 tribe states. We went through uh, Joshua chapters 15 through 19. Then after that, we saw them put in place six cities of refuge, chapter 20. And then after that, they put in uh, 48 cities to house uh, some 23,000 Levites uh, spread all over the place. That was uh, chapter, uh, what was that? Chapter 20, 21. And then last week, chapter 22, the two and a half Transjordan tribes, those tribes on the east side of the Jordan River, came over to help God's people get the land on the west side of the promised land. Now that's all done and they've gone home. And this is, this is, this is an amazing time. God's people now have a place. So now what's going to happen? 
I mean, really, what's going to happen? Uh, these are, uh, after big events, uh, there's a natural thing that comes out of big events, like now what? You know, we've had uh, two weddings uh, of couples here at Harvest in the last eight days. And um, there's an aspect both for them as a couple where it's like, okay, phew, the wedding's done, all that's through, and for the families with them who attend here as well. And it's like, okay, we got that done. And there's an aspect to where, okay, you're on the honeymoon. I'm just so disappointed Chad and Melissa aren't here this morning. Got married last night, but I don't know what the deal is. But, you know, in that, and it's like, but you get after the honeymoon, and you kind of, and then it's like, so now what? Uh, couples, do you remember that? I do. It's like, oh, man, we were like such big work, big event, all the way up to this point, and then now what? Um, I think as well with, with big events as, you know, we've had uh, a team from Romania go over and we've had a team from uh, go to St. Vincent Island go over. And actually, I just literally two minutes ago got a text from Karen saying they actually, the Haiti team arrived in the Indianapolis airport here now. And uh, that was supposed to be last night, but uh, that, you know, we've been on a, a great uh, role here of planes getting messed up with our international trips, but they're in, and there's going to be an aspect. There is an aspect where you've done this and you come back and you're kind of like, so now what? And, and let me add this to all of us. Lord willing, end of this year, we're going to be moving into a facility and uh, the campaign stuff will be done. Um, all this stuff will be moving into a facility and there is going to be a thing where it's like, so now what? That's natural. We're going to be talking in December about so what now. But uh, you know what I'm talking about? Big events lead to a time where you go, so now what? And understand where we're at right now. All the settling in has happened. God's people have a place. So now what? Well, what happens is Joshua gets up and talks. Now, if you haven't been here through the series, Joshua is a stud of a man. This guy has been leading these people for decades and decades, fighting wars and battles. And even before he was their leader back then, he was a spy who saw God in it all, he and Caleb. And this dude is like a six-pack ab, army military stud man for God. And I'm tired of this womanizing manhood for God thing. Ladies, I love you. We want women warriors for God. And we want men warriors for God, right? And Joshua was one of those, and he gets up and speaks. So guess what? We're going to hear from Joshua today, and, and let's go there right now. In Joshua 23, you there? Yeah? Okay. First four words. A long time afterward. Let's pause. Some of the most profound words you'll ever read. No, I'm kidding. A long time afterward. Um, may I, by the way, may I just encourage you, as you read your Bible, especially through narratives and through telling with stories of things, don't just pass by the time references. They're there for a purpose. For example, a long time afterward. A long time after what? Well, a long time after chapters 15 9 through 19, chapter 20, chapter 21, chapter 22. And all of that is about settling into the place. And it's been a long time after they got settled in. How long afterwards? Well, it doesn't tell us. Well, that's a ripoff. 
I mean, how long? Well, we just know this. It's a long time afterward. Well, there's a couple pieces we could put together because let's keep reading here. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies. By the way, rest not as in get out the the beach chair and the umbrella and kick it back. Now you're on vacation rest. It's not talking about that. It's talking about rest from your enemies. It's rest from war. Again, the two and a half Transjordan tribes are back. Everybody's got their tribe in a place state. They're all there. The, the Levites are settled all around. I mean, they're ready to do a, be a nation. They're ready. Uh, how long after that? Again, I don't know. Uh, one more piece of information it tells us in verse 1. And Joshua was old and well advanced in years. Um, how old was Joshua? We don't know. Uh, see, the Bible tells us so much stuff, isn't it? You know, like how long? Don't know. How old? Don't know. Uh, but we do know this. If A little bit later, I think verse 14, we'll find out that Joshua is saying that he's like at the end of his life. And then if we go to the end of chapter 24, we'll find out uh, that Joshua dies when he's 110 years old. So if he's saying he's thinking he's at the end of his life and he dies at 110, I'm just going to say this. He's at least 100 years old in Joshua 23. He's probably 100, 105, 107, maybe he's 109 years old. That's old, right? I mean, it is just in, in our world. Um, our culture has a tendency not to listen to people who have maturity on them, us gray hairs. Our, our uh, culture has a tendency as you get old like that old, uh, they don't have much to say. Bad idea, culture. Bad idea. Let's listen to this old dude. Here we go. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officials, and said to them. By the way, how much of Israel was essentially there? All. Okay, now functionally, it doesn't matter how this worked out, whether they're all there or whether you're speaking to the main leaders, but the representative is, uh, understand, the context of what's being said is not to the pagan nations. It's not to unbelievers. This is a comment, a discussion that's being had to God's people. So I'm going to keep it in that context of it. To God's people, not to unbelievers, to God's people. And it's a public address in this, okay? It's not to an individual, it's to a whole public. And here's what he says. I am now old and well advanced in years. I'd say a hundred plus. And he says, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes, those nations that remain along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. By the way, this isn't like uh, Joshua's all full of himself and he's thinking that he's like God doing all this. He was just a person that was there and this is what has been happening over time. Verse 5, the Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight and you shall uh, possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore... Be very strong to keep, be very strong to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Turning aside from it, neither to the right nor to the left, that you may not mix with those nations remaining among you. 
or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Let's pause there. Verses 1 through 11. I want to talk about uh, two peoples, if you will. Uh, First, God. (laughs) Uh, God. Let's talk about what does the text say about God? Um, uh, Here's a couple things. Verse 3, it says, the Lord did things for their sake. I think that's really cool. I love the fact that God has done things for their sake. Not only is God doing what God is purposed to do, and is God is God and can do what he wants, but as God is fulfilling his purposes for his glory. Look at the text. How cool is this? Verse 3, the Lord did things for their sake. And verse 3, that include God fought for them. No, no, not just that God fought, but God fought for them. Uh, Then in verse 4, it also tells us that God allotted them an inheritance. God gave. By the way, who owned that land? Um, um, God. That's God's land. And God is allowing these people now to live on that land. At verse 4 also, he cut off the nations. That's what we learn about God. Who can cut off the nations? You know, we try and think America, you know, we're so awesome and strong and powerful, blah, blah, blah. God can just cut them off. Just cut them off. I mean, like, cut and you're done. Uh, That's God. By the way, Wes and Denise, I just saw you welcome wedded couple. (laughs) Sorry, that was out of the blue. Okay, Uh, but God does that. Uh, uh, Verse five, uh, he pushed enemies back. You you got that? God's just like, yeah, whatever, just whatever, whatever, whatever. I can just push you. I can take you down. He's pushing the enemies back. Uh, Verse five also says that he drove them out as he promised he would do. God can just drive them out. Hey, get in the back and go. I'm taking you out. It's not even like he's asking them to get in the back. He just picks them all up and takes them out. Uh, verse 9, again, it tells us that God drove out strong nations. Verse 10, it says that God fought for them. I just, look at this. God fought for, pushed back, cut off, drove out. Here, here's how I'd sum it up. God does. God does. This is important. Uh, God acts. God intervenes. God intercedes. God is not sitting on a chair under a porch you know, a nice day, tea in his right hand, drool coming out of the left side of his cheek, half asleep, half in tune. That's not God. God is in the game. He knows what's going on. He's, it's happening the way he wants it to. He, he's not disinterested. He's not unaware. He's not uninvolved. He's doing, God does. Also, we see here, God does for their sake, as I've mentioned. God has in mind the benefit of his people. Uh, please, 
God is doing what God is going to do. And one of the things that gives him great delight is having his people experience what it is to have relationship like only the Godhead knows. God loves when his people benefit from his goodness. The, the Trinity in eternity past. They bless each other. They love each other. They care for each other. That's just an amazing thing in eternity past. And now God is literally sharing. Oh, that's right. We talked some weeks ago. We are image bearers. Remember that? And God loves it when his people are a part of what he's doing. He takes great joy out of that. We're not talking about a health, wealth, prosperity gospel thing. We're talking about God blesses his people. Let's let God take care of what blessing looks like. But God does bless his people. He does it for their sake. By the way, I'm also going to mention this. This means that we are not his pawns. We are not his puppets. We are not his robots. We are his peeps. And he loves you if you know him as your savior. He loves you. And he wants to see blessing upon you. He wants you to experience God blessing on your life. How sweet. How sweet. And God does. He does for their sake. And he does as he promised. And I'll say it this way. God speaks. God actually says what he's going to do. Listen. God has spoken. He's not mute. He's not deaf. He has spoken. And wouldn't you think that if God has spoken, you'd want to know what he has to say? God has spoken. God's awesome. Those are in first, 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 uh, first 11 verses. Let's take a look now at his people. Uh, what do we learn in these 11 verses about God's people? Verse 1, they're given rest from their enemies. We mentioned that. Verse 2, uh, this may be a little bit, uh, sound a little bit odd, but um, it'll connect here in some few weeks down the road. Uh, God's people die. Uh, Joshua talks in, in, in the verse two about he's at the end of his life. Do you, do, you, do you know that unless the Lord returns, you're gonna die? It's interesting. Here in some weeks, we're actually gonna talk about that. Because at the end of chapter 24, we find out that uh, essentially three people die at the end of chapter 4. I want to talk about, have you thought about death? Uh, the Bible talks about, uh, for the person who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior is to be out of here, is to be with him. I vote for that, but I just want to be out of here with no pain and like no sadness. Just have a party when I'm gone. Okay, I mean, really. It's, anyway, that's another, another Sunday. But that's the reality of what uh, God's people happened to them. Verse 3, uh, they've seen. They've seen all that the Lord has done, verse 3. And by the way, that includes their seeing the Lord fight for them. They, they haven't heard of that the Lord fights for them. They haven't read that the Lord fight, fights for them. They've seen it. I just want to say this. Have there been times in your life where you're like, man, I've seen God fight. I've seen God do. I want to tell you, more of those, Lord. Because what we so often want to do is, is we want to have God just like uh, 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 okay our desire. 
God, I'll bring you along as long as you do my thing. No, 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 that's not the way it works. God has a thing. I want to be part of God's thing. And God, show your thing in front of me so that I and we can see it together, right? I want to see God, not God uh, clap me and, and applaud you. We want to see God at work. And these are people that saw it. And I'll notice, note that they've seen it in various ways. They saw it in Jericho to where they all go around and they do the walk and slushies are flying and stuff like that, if you've seen the video. And, and they're going around Jericho and stuff like that. And, and, and then the walls fall. But it was, it was like God made the walls fall. But then there are other times in all this conquering of the promised land that God was with them in giving them the unique ability, hand-to-hand combat. It didn't look the same all the time. But God was fighting for them and they saw God fight for them. Verse 6, another thing is that as people are to be something, uh, they're to be very strong. By the way, that means not wimps, not man-boys. Not weaklings. God wants his people to be very strong. Very strong for what? These are where you got the three blanks. Be very strong first to keep, verse 6. To keep. By the way, the, the word keep here doesn't have so much the action of doing as it has the action of holding on to. In fact, the, the Hebrew word here uh, is referring to squeeze squeeze something. And by the way, you tell me, what are we to keep? Look at the text. Verse six. Tell me. What's that? Yeah. Uh, We're to keep the written word. Follow me. We're to keep it. We're to squeeze this thing. If you're squeezing something, it's something that means a lot to you. It's something that you cherish. It's something that your life is intimately engaged with. The next thing that's said in the text is is that we are to be very strong to do. Not only keep, but do. And so we squeeze it to do it. We keep it to do it. Why are you and I to be in God's word on a regular, constant basis? For the purpose of being doers of the word and not hearers only. And by the way, in all this, this is sometimes where a church can get, and people in church can get to where it's like, let's just talk all the theology things. And, you know, did, did Adam have a belly button? Uh, you know, big, important stuff like that. And they get into a big discussion about this and all that. And it's like, sometimes that, that's okay. I, I enjoy having those conversations at times. But I want to tell you what. What have we been called to be? We have been called to be disciple makers. And sometimes we just need to put off some of the discussion and get after the doing. Like when was the last time we purposely put ourselves with someone who doesn't know Christ so that we can begin and in putting into them Jesus Christ. How about that? I don't think we need to argue about that. We can all agree to that. How about coming alongside somebody and helping them and discipling them on purpose, not just when it happens? Well, let's be that. That's the kind of doers Joshua's talking about. Listen, don't just keep the word to know it and to talk about it. Keep the word to do it. Theology is critical, but theology drives life. And if the life isn't happening, then honestly, it's just all gobbledygook talk. 
We want to be doers of the word and not hearers. And by the way, in verse 6, it says, uh, verse 7 actually, it says a number of things we're not to do. They're not to do. It says, uh, don't mix with the nations. Uh, The text is going to be a little bit more clear on it. It's especially talking about in marriage. By the way, singles and and, uh, those of you who are younger in this room, I want to call you, challenge you, and uh, tell you. Don't date somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior and isn't serious about it. Please, don't go there. I did. At one time, and I wonder where I'd be now. Don't mix with the nations. That's what it's talking about here. Also, it tells in verse 7, don't mention the names of their gods. How interesting is that? Like, just don't even talk about them. You know what they're, the Baal Peor, you know what they do there? And they do this and they do, just don't even talk. I don't even want to hear it. Just don't even talk about it. Very interesting. Again, you got to remember, this is a young people together in this role. Just don't even go there. Also, verse 7, it says, don't swear by them. Swear by them, take an oath by them. It was common in the day that when they would take an oath, and there still were some Canaanites in the promised land area, that when they would take an oath, that the name of their God would be brought into it. It's like, don't swear by them. Don't go by the, uh, don't make an oath with that because gods will be brought into that. And I just don't even want to have that on the table. Just don't even do that. Also says, uh, uh, don't serve them. And don't bow down to them. By the way, can I, uh, I'll just mention, bowing down, yeah, it's physical, but it's also a uh, mindset. It's also how you think. I'm just going to note this right now. Um, squeezing the word of God means squeezing the word of God. And sometimes we have Christians today who are spending more time fighting for what is uh, secular, quote, truths than they are fighting for God's word. I appreciate science, appreciate various things, but I want to tell you what, don't squeeze it, squeeze this. That's what's happening. Squeeze this thing. How about we just default to this first? And then everything else we view as man's thoughts. This is what's first. These are God's ideas. Also in this, it's just like, so we're not to like talk about it, mix with them, mention it, swear by, serve them, bow down to. Are we supposed to be isolated people from the world? Are we supposed to be like all those monks who just like run away or like don't, you know, if you don't know Jesus is your savior, do not step your foot in my house. No, that's not what this is talking about at all. In fact, the Israelites were people that still had people that did not know Yahweh yet living with them and among them in their countries. And in it also, the whole objective was God was giving them a place so that they would be priests of the world. This is not a call to isolationism. This is a call to be a people that is, not, uh, that is in the world, but not of the world. In the world, but not of the world. And we need to parents be preparing our kids to be in the world, and yet not of the world, and how to do that. And they need to be watching you. Are you in the world and also bringing half the world in? Or are you in the world, but not of the world? Just huge challenges in all this. Be very strong to keep. Be very strong to do. Third one, be very strong to cling. Velcro yourselves. Verse 8, it says, cling to the Lord. Uh, this is the same word cling that is used of, uh, in Genesis 2.24 that uh, a man will leave his father and mother and cling, hold fast to his wife. By the way, husbands, 
Is that you? You're holding fast to her? <laughs> Clinger, baby. Clinger. That's what it's talking about here. Now, let's just take these three. Uh, uh, be very strong in these things. Not man boys. Not, 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 uh, not sissy women in it. But, but like warrior women and warrior men. Very strong in this. Very strong keeping. I mean, holding this thing. I remember high school back in the glory days. <laughs> whatever you want to call them. Uh, back in high school, I was a running back, and I remember going through all the drills and, you know, the football and protecting the football. Come on, Helmer, squeeze that ball! And, you know, when you're going through the line, you two-hand it, hands over the top, and, and coming in and learning how to get the handoff in the right, right arms up so you got it over. You're not taking this pig from me. No way! And you would do drills again and again. But notice, it wasn't the kind of thing even in that day that you grabbed the ball, the pigskin, and you fell down and just protected it. A coach would be like, Helmer, what are you doing? Right? And yet, I bring that into our own lives. We're not just to be grabbing it and clinging on to it and protecting it. No, no, no. Run with it. Pick it up and go. Come on, put it to action. Otherwise, you're not playing the game. And then while you're doing it also in this whole idea of it, in the text, it tells us to cling to the Lord. Be very careful to cling to the Lord. So it's like we got this underarm, we're running along, and at the same time we got this arm Velcroed around God's leg because we love him. And he's actually the one carrying us through. Be very careful to keep, be very careful to do, be very careful to cling. Verse 12. The second word, at least I'm in the English Standard Version, the second word is what? Two-letter word. If. If is a conditional statement. Conditional. Wait, there's something that this is conditioned upon. Be very careful to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of those nations remaining among you and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain. Uh, it's know for certain, not, not, not wonder about, not think about, not talk about, but know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. But they shall actually be a snare and a trap for you. But they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides, ouch, and a thorn in your eyes, oh, until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Wow, has God just got a, like a bad day or is Joshua having a bad day? What's going on here? What's happening here is there's a choice being put on the table and that choice has consequences to it. The truth of the matter is, is they had a choice. They were now in the promised land, all nicely divided out, cities of refuge on both the east and the west side of the Jordan, uh, 48 cities filled with Levites. Let's just kind of call them filled with pastors to the people. You've got all this happening there. The Transjordan tribes are back home. Everything is now in place. Now, the question on the table is what are you going to do now? You're going to kick it back? 
Are you going to turn to be like the other nations? Because hear this, what Joshua is saying, if you turn to be with the other nations and you turn and you, as the text says, you cling to those nations. If you want to be like those nations, guess what? God's going to act. Well, that doesn't seem too fair. That seems kind of unloving. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on here. I mean, what's loving is that you're told there's an option on the table. I'll put it, what's loving is that you can choose. What's loving is that God has been clear that there's an option on the table and God is being clear essentially that there are consequences associated with that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, I think verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. One of the things that's so exasperating for children, and dad, we, we can have a tendency to be this way. I think that's why it's oriented to fathers in there is because it's like we can be unclear with our kids. We can have, in other words, expectations that are in our heads, but they don't know about. And they're just kind of trying, they're being kids. And then it's like, all of a sudden we come back and it's like, what are you doing? And they're like, you're so, if they could say it, you're so exasperating me. Just tell me what to do. Right? That's exactly what God's doing here. God's just telling his children, listen, there is a choice on the table. And you can choose to cling to me. You can choose to do what I say. You can choose to keep my word. You can choose that. And I'm telling you, if you choose that, I will bless you. But God's also being real about it. And he's saying, I just want to let you know. If you choose my people to cling to the world and to turn away from me, I just want you to know this. I love you so much that I will come after you because you're my child. I mean, the most unloving thing to be, to do would be as a parent is to allow your child just to, well, then go. I mean, you don't want to obey the house rules? Adios, partner. Get your own Twinkies. That would be so unloving. And yet what God is saying here in all this is, friends, you are right at this amazing opportunity. I've given you a place. And Joshua sees this. God's given them a place. They have a people. Everything's in place. And now the question is, is, listen, friends, if you want to all of a sudden make a choice to go in the wrong direction, just know this. God loves you enough that he will come after you and he will make your life hurt. Why? So that you know that it's the wrong way to go. That is loving. That is loving. And, and I would just want to let you know, especially youngsters in this, is, is, maybe it's adults as well, but if you're wondering in your head, is it really worth going God's direction? Yes. Yes, it is. Does it mean it's going to be easy? No. No, it's not. Are you going to mess up? Yes. Yes, you will. But do know this. Pursue choosing God in everything. Pursue him. It's worth it. 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 Because probably everyone in this room, and certainly including me, can tell you stories where you and I have made bad choices. And it bit. 
and it hurt. And chaos was the result. Don't go there. Hey, if you're there, if you're headed there, prodigal life going on right now, oh, understand, it's just going to get harder because God loves you. Turn, turn, come back. There's a choice on the table. Let's, let's finish out the rest of the text. Verse 14, I'm sad to say it doesn't get lighter. It actually gets heavier. Verse 14, and now I am about to go the way of all the earth. Joshua is about to die. And, and he says, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, you know this, uh, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. Listen, God's not the problem. God's the solution. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. It may not have happened in your time. It may not have happened in the exact manner that you wanted. But guess what? God did just exactly what he said and in just exactly the way he's going to do it. Verse 15. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things. Until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. Whoa. May I remind us? God brought these people together. He made them. He made them who they are. God put them in this place. And if they want to turn their back and now go, I want to do it my way, God's essentially saying, you can make that choice. But do know this, you do not have my blessing. And when you don't have my blessing and you get my anger, you don't want to be in that spot. You don't want to be in that spot. Verse 16, from all the good that the Lord your God has given you, if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and if you go, and if you serve other gods, and if you bow down to them, if you do that, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given I don't like unhappy endings. But as I've thought about this, here's the deal. Joshua, a warrior for God, he knew that warriors can take heavy endings. He knew that warriors can take straight up. In fact, warriors really embrace straight up. Just give me the straight up. Just stop playing with me. Just give me the truth. Lay it on the table. I'm man enough. I'm woman enough. I can take it. And so Joshua lays it on the table. Listen, this is the kind of stuff that warriors and warrioresses can handle. I also note this. It's really interesting. The end of the chapter, we don't know how they choose. It's just left heavy. So guess what? I'm going to leave it heavy. Today, I'm not going to ask you to choose. That's chapter 24. I'm not going to ask you to choose anything. All I'm going to ask you to do today is this. 
Will you this week watch yourself? Watch your choices. I just asked for one week, just, just purely one week. Observe yourself and the choices that you make. Take five minutes at the end of the day, five minutes at the beginning of the day, and look back at the day. And just look at yourself. Because life is, is, is made up of a whole series of choices. What choices were going on in your head when you woke up? What kind of attitude were you going to choose to have? Have you ever been in that part where you're like, I'm in a, you know, for me, I'm hungry and I'm hot and I'm like, I've got a really bad attitude right now. And then it's like, all of a sudden you start thinking, why do I have a bad attitude right now? It's because I'm a jerk and, <laughs> and I'm selfish. And then it's all of a sudden there's been a, not a lot, but a few times in my life, I've been like, stop it. Just stop it. And it's like, you choose. You can choose. You are not dependent upon the person sitting next to you. You are not dependent upon the people around you. You are not dependent upon how much you make. You are not dependent upon how great your kids are. You are to be dependent on the Lord and you can choose. And so I just simply call you this week, watch yourself. Just examine yourself. Will you do that? Really, I'm serious about this. Just watch yourself. And listen, you're going to fail and you're going to mess up. But I'm just asking, are you growing and progressing more and more and being a person? That's, I choose to be someone who's going to keep and do and cling more than I was last week. That's my challenge. I also want to finish the sermon this way. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Because you could be asking the question, well, Doug, you're, you're, you know, this is Joshua and the Israelites, and that's like them back there, and it's really not us right now, and it doesn't apply to us, and that's, you're in the Old Testament, and, and you're talking this, and it doesn't apply. And uh, Go to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. If you're not that familiar with the Bible, Matthew chapters 5 through 7, called the Sermon on the Mount, whether it was all one consecutive sermon of Jesus's or whether it's kind of a conglomerate put together, it doesn't really matter right now. But we see in the beginning of chapter 5 that Jesus is speaking to a very large crowd. And if you scan through chapters 5, 6, and 7, you can see that there are all kinds of, uh, of uh, uh, topics he's covering. I mean, it's just like bam, 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 you know, no three-point on the same topic kind of a thing. It's just all over the place here and he gets to the end of chapter seven and now he uh um finishes i'm just going to tell you as a pastor i think the hardest part of any sermon is the end i'll just tell you wrestle with it all the time i'm not necessarily that great at it some people are just like amazing with it i'm not necessarily that great at it and i have to work at it really hard and i still think i'm not that great at it and so but you look at this and it's like this was just like someone really smart would do it this way um, watch what happens here. He comes to the end of the sermon. He's talking to the very large crowd of people. How do you drive it home? Well, look at verse 21, by the way. Uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa, he's getting serious. And uh, that just that whole mindset is, listen, just, just because you, you, you did X or Y, uh, um, uh, doesn't necessarily call the Lord your Lord. Does that really mean that he's the Lord? Well, well uh, you, you read it. You spend some time with this, but he's getting serious. You got the idea? And by the way, it's very interesting. Verse 24 and 27, there's no altar call here. Um, there's not in Mark chapter four. There's not after the feeding of the 5,000. I just say, sometimes people ask me, why don't I do more altar calls? And I'll just say it this because Jesus is very serious about serious choices and not easy believism. 
and watch how he finishes this here. Verse 24, end of the sermon. Everyone then who hears these words, well, that makes sense. He's just been speaking to people. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, you leave and you don't do them. Nice words, but they don't change your life. Hey, listen, you'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and, and, and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And not only did it fall, but great was its fall. You know, this, this passage right here is honestly generally talked about as being a passage about the rock and the sand. It's actually not. That's in Corinthians. Look at the text. What's it talking about? What's the main center point of the discussion that Jesus said? This is just brilliant. This is just amazing. Here's what he's saying. There's two houses, and these two houses are two kinds of people. And each of these houses make a choice. That's what this is about. Both heard, and by the way, both got their siding pummeled. Both got their carpet all flooded out. Both of these had their shingles like blown off the roof. Both of these people experience life hard times. What's the difference? Both of them here, both of them experience problems. Only one falls, one stands up. But what's the kicker? Here's the kicker. Look, verse 24. The one that fall, the one that stands is the one that hears and does it. That's what this is about. The house that falls, why did it fall? It fell because it heard and it didn't do it. This closing of his sermon here is saying, you have a choice. You've heard and now you can walk away and you can choose to not do. And not do and not do and not do. And not do. And here's the deal. When you choose to live that way, if you're half in, if you're lukewarm, know what? Know that when the rains hit and life gets hard, you're going to fall because you didn't do. And Jesus is saying the same thing as Joshua. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. Hey, as Joshua said, Jesus here is saying, listen, be a hearer of the word, but hear it to do it. Do it. And this week I'm calling you. This week, watch yourself. Just watch yourself. Watch the choices you make. Life is an ongoing series of choices, follower of Christ, and not just the choice to choose Jesus as your Savior. It's choice after 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 after that. Are you going to live for him or are you going to live for you? There are two choices on the shelf. 
pleasing God or pleasing self. There are two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. This week, let's just watch ourselves. That's all I'm asking. Will you do that? Will you work at that? Watch yourself. Watch the choice that you're making this week in every aspect of life. Chapter 24 is coming next. Lord, thank you for the time. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience. And God, thank you for that you've made yourself known. You've made yourself known. You've not only made yourself known, but you've made yourself known in the kind of way that you've made yourself known to your people so that they would know what it is that we're supposed to look like and be like. And so, Lord, uh, just as Joshua is addressing your people, uh, I here address your people. For the person who doesn't know Christ this morning, I, I just, I'm so glad you're here. And, and I, God, I just pray that they would observe what a follower of Christ should be looking like in an increasing way. But God, ultimately, this is about people who have proclaimed you as their savior. They've been redeemed. They've been filled with the spirit of God at their salvation. And, and God, they are your child. Their names are written in the book of the law. Lord, that choice doesn't stop there. It all of a sudden now moves into a whole nother list of choices. And that whole list is simply... Am I going to choose to live your way or my way? God, for the person this morning who's struggling to make the choice to do something that they know they need to do your way, I pray that you would give them the strength and the conviction to do it. To put that off. To put something on. Father, I just pray we would be very aware this week with the Spirit of God working us this week that we would be the kind of people that are just constantly aware of the choices that we're making. Are we choosing you in this to please you or are we choosing what I want? Oh God, may we be more and more people that choose you and not ourselves, right? Oh God, may we be that. Lord, what a delight it is to be able to serve you. I pray we would be holders and doers of your word. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.